0: I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Now, before we begin the program, I want to give you a quiz. (laughs) Don't worry. It's easy. You're going to be fine. I know. I know. You didn't study. Trust me. You're going to do just great. Uh, Which of the following is not, and you can only pick one, which one of the following is not a Dr. Seuss character? Thidwick. Chippendale Mupp, the Bombastic Aghast, the Sneech, or the Huffamoose. Okay? Give that some thought, and while you do, check this out.
1: A people who can help. It's no big deal When you send out your new song It's only a rough mix And you're still working on the core
0: you pick? Did you pick Thidwick? That would be wrong. Uh, The correct answer is Huffamoose. Huffamoose was not a Dr. Seuss character. Huffamoose is the name of the band that you just heard in this introduction. And the voice of that band is Craig Elkins, who just happens to be my guest today on the program. Let me tell you a little bit about Craig Elkins and Huffamoose. Now, everybody knows that you can do what you want when you go to college. You can drink, you can smoke, you can skip class, and you can sleep around. I know, college was awesome. But here's something else you can do when you go to college. You can start a band. And like a lot of bands, Huffamoose were formed on campus. And the campus in our story is Temple University. Located in Philadelphia, Temple counts as its graduates, folks like Bob Saget David Brenner, Jill Scott, both Hall and Oates, Norman Fell, and Eric Warheim, and Tim Heidecker of Tim and Eric. Uh, Bill Cosby went there too, uh, but something tells me they don't mention that in the catalog anymore. But back to our story. Huthlemoose were formed in the early 90s. They played all over town. They garnered a strong regional following. They put out a self-titled album, and then they were signed by Interscope. An impressive trajectory indeed. And from there, Huffamoose kept ticking upward. It took Interscope a little over two years to put out the band's 1997 album, We've Been Had Again. But when they finally did, things went well. The album's first single, Wait, hit number 34 on Billboard's Modern Rock Charts. The band played on Conan, and they even had a stint on the Horde tour. So, for all intents and purposes... Huffamoose was connecting with the public. But here's the thing about Huffamoose. They're hard to categorize. In their sound, there's pop jangle and big catchy hooks, but there's also woebegone melancholia, cutting deadpan, jazzy digressions, and baleful folk. Now, all of that sounded awesome to me, and it also sounded awesome to the other adoring music journalists at the time who were outspoken about their love of Huffamoose. Even the Counting Crows' Adam Duritz declared himself to be a fan. But the marketing department at Interscope simply had no idea how to, well, how to market Huffamoose. So, long story short, they dropped them, sadly proving once again you can't pay the mortgage on critical acclaim. Admittedly, this was a low point for Huffamoose, and there was even some question about whether or not they would continue. But they licked their wounds Signed to Shanachi, and in 2000 put out the album, I Wanna Be Your Pants. I love this record. It's weird and wonderful and takes strange sonic turns that I promise will reward you after repeat listens. My personal favorite song, Johnny Depp Day. Now, somewhere along the way, J.C. JCPenney didn't think Huffamoose was all that left field, and they used Buy You a Ring for a commercial about, well, about buying rings from JCPenney. And if you think about it, it was kind of a coup because even though JCPenney didn't use this part of the song, it does contain the lyric, I'm alone again. And I'm thinking about what I shouldn't think about again. I'm trapped. I'm dizzy spinning and spiraling down. I don't know about you, but I'd buy a ring from that commercial. The JCPenney ad was a windfall for the band. So take that Interscope marketing department and in other Kind of good news. Well, it'll sound like good news, but you'll see why it's not. The movie Here Comes Huffamoose debuted at the 2003 Silver Lake Film Festival, and people went crazy for it. So much so that Cameron Crowe in Premiere Magazine said, it was one of the best rock and roll movies ever made. So what was the movie about? Well, it's simple. It's about a band who's crushing it and also getting crushed. It's one of the most unflinching looks at the backstage triumphs frustrations, and disasters about being in a band. Trust me, you can't look away from this movie. It's a wrenching watch. And it pretty much ends with the end of the band. Now, two records came out in 2004, The Death of Cool and Knee Slappers. But that would be it for a while. Singer Craig Elkins moved to L.A., became a dad, and put out solo records. Meanwhile, guitarist Kevin Hansen played and recorded with everyone from The Roots to Jay-Z to fellow Temple alum Jill Scott. Bassist Jim Steger played with his old bandmates and local Philly musicians, and drummer Eric Johnson recorded and performed with everyone from School D to Gary Bartz. Although Huffamoose did reunite to play the odd reunion gig here and there, their new album, And That's When the Golf Ball Hit Me in the Head, came from out of nowhere. Laconic, sardonic, and melodic, it's a dazzling return to form. I've known Craig Elkins for a long time, and every time we talk, it just makes me happy. And this is one of those conversations. I hope you enjoy it. Me chatting with Craig Elkins of Huffamoose, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
2: A out of it. <clears throat> Just woke up from a like an hour-long nap.
0: Are you uh? Are you the napping type? I am. I've
2: been napping my entire adult life. <laughs> I have been. I... <laughs> they usually only last about fifteen minutes, maybe a half hour max. But I didn't get much sleep last night, so I kind of dozed off.
0: So, here's what happens to me if I nap. In the daytime, like longer than 10 minutes, I, I feel utterly out of it for the rest of the day.
2: Yeah, um, I, can, uh, I can identify with that feeling. I mean, right now, since I fell asleep for about an hour, I do feel kind of out of it and slightly anxious, actually.
0: Oh, you're, really? Now, where does that come from? What's that about?
2: Uh, post-nap anxiety? I don't know. All right.
0: That's a new thing.
2: I think it's a fairly common. Um, I think uh, my daughter says that one of the reasons she doesn't like to nap is because when she wakes up, she feels anxious. You know, um, I don't know. It's maybe in the middle of the day, you've just been asleep. You wake up, you have all these things to do. You haven't done them, but you've been asleep in the middle of the day. I, I you know, I don't know.
0: I'm getting anxious now. <laughs>
2: I think um well I don't know if it's the human condition but it's definitely you know just kind of finding another reason to beat myself up I guess <laughs> but I usually do, I usually don't have it that's another thing like I nap every day and I've been doing it you know not every day but most days and um especially during the week <clears throat> but I on some level, I'm always thinking, "Oh, I'm such a loser because I have to take a nap." You know, uh, like what, when when am I gonna when am I gonna get my shit together? You know.
0: Yeah, I, I know I feel kind of guilty about napping.
2: It, totally, that's part probably part of the anxiety is is the guilt part of it. Yeah. You know.
0: Well, so far in this interview, we're sucking the fun out of uh, napping. <laughs> we are it's like for all of it's you at, been, for all of you at home who nap fuck you exactly <laughs> losers losers yeah
2: there is something there is something wrong with you yeah
0: well how are you how are things
2: things are okay i feel pretty good it's a nice sunny day here in los angeles uh aside from my post nap anxiety um i'm feeling good
0: Okay. So I was like, I was thinking about you over the weekend and I was like, why, why didn't Craig tell me there was a Huffamoose record? And then I thought, well, why should you, why should you have to let me know that was happening? <laughs> like, why couldn't I just be surprised?
2: <laughs> yeah, I get, I'm just not that, I mean, I'm not horrible at, at self-promotion, but I'm not that great at it either. You know, I, I, I don't know why there was no, it wasn't, uh. Wasn't on purpose. Everybody knew
0: you, Alex. <laughs> That's what I was afraid of. I was like, all yeah, the course. cool people know, except for me. Um, <laughs> how how did this happen? First of all, and I know people have been asking you about this for years, but like, so how how did this happen? Like, what what's the story behind this thing coming together?
2: I mean, it, I don't know if it's an exciting story, but I'll tell it nonetheless. Okay, it, we we um. I think, I don't even know where to begin with that. Um, so uh, I, I think off and on, we've talked about doing something. I think a couple of years ago uh, was maybe the 20th anniversary of the release of, um, a record that we put out on Interscope. And, um, that was, uh, so we were thinking about doing something then, um, well, I'm going to put myself to sleep with this story. <laughs> and you.
0: <laughs> I don't want you to start napping <laughs> <It doesn't>... again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: uh, well, I think... You know, I don't... I, Jesus, I don't know. I, I think we we started to play a show, like, every year. like You know, and that's been going on for the past couple of years. At least one show. Um, and... The past few times we played, it was just so much fun. I mean, you know, we had a couple of shows where we played for, you know, like close to two hours straight without a, you know, without a break or anything and and just kind of felt like we did, you know, back in the day when we were playing together. And, um, you know, we just all really get along and we enjoy each other's company and You know, we kind of have a shared sense of humor and for some reason, it was like, oh, well, we should record. I have no idea why. There's no (laughs) real amazing reason why we did this. Just one day, everybody's like, oh, let's record another record. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm totally, I'm completely missing a giant part of this entire story. So uh, at one of the last gigs we played where we really had a great time, we played at a fairly small club in Philadelphia. And um, played for like two hours straight. And after the show, an old friend of the band who had just started his own uh, independent record label in Philadelphia, it's called Winding Way Records. Um, You know, I was just talking to him and he said, you know, I just started a label, you guys should... I'd love to get to this record, and, um, and that's—I guess—that's what started the discussion. And we just sort of started to talk about it, and everybody was in a good place, and well, it was, you know, fun to hang around. And we decided, why not? And we really love the guy who runs this label. He's a super sweet guy, really nice, very kind of um, straightforward, and, you know, what you see is what you get kind of guy. Um, and that's I guess that's what started it.
0: Um, Craig, is someone being torn apart behind you by a by a dog?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Those are my dogs barking at the UPS guy. Hold on for a second. This is this is only for about another twenty minutes. Oh, okay, he's gone, guys. I guess I guess yeah. the
0: question I have for you is: let, Let's back up for a second. Did you ever think, like, why did we break up the band in the first place? Or did the band really break up? Or did it just sort of go on hiatus? Like, what actually happened? Um, we broke
2: up... So, well, let me think about... Well, it, we, we were playing a, a festival called the Horde Tour in the late 90s. Right. And, um, and uh, we were cooling around with um, another friend of mine who was filming a documentary about the band... And we had just finished playing a show, I think in Detroit or somewhere like that. And, um, we just, we just got in one of those classic band fights. And, um, we basically sort of, sort of broke up that night, but then we had to play another show at the Horde tour the next day. (laughs) And so we did that. And then, uh, we drove home and, um, uh, when we got home, um, Eric, the drummer decided to take a break from the band, a, a long hiatus. And, um, we, uh, the rest of the guys in the band, Jim and Kevin, we decided to stay together and we took on another drummer, another couple of drummers from a while, while recorded recorded another record. But that was basically it. I think that we just got totally fried and burnt out and, and, um, You know, we just, you know, got on each other's nerves. I probably got on everybody's nerves. That's probably why. Those guys are still in a band together, the other guys. uh, Without me, they're called The Fractals. And they've released a couple records. Um, Yeah, I was just such an idiot on the road. I was just such a sort of an isolating personality. And, you know, I don't know. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you're are you, you're remembering your former self and going, I don't want to be around that guy either. Oh, just, you know,
2: I mean, really, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I can't, I can't look past the age of, say, I can't look before the age of maybe
0: 47 without just grimacing. <laughs> 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 but I mean, you know you're one of the nicest guys I know, like I have a hard time imagining you having any friction with people um, yeah, well, I mean
2: you know i'm i'm you know I'm also you know a big idiot i don't know I'm a guy um, i you know I do that isolation thing that a lot of guys uh, tend to do, I think especially as they get older, you know, and I wasn't that happy on the road to begin with and I was way out of my element, and you know, I don't know, all that crap, and then being in the band, being the lead singer in a band, and doing all that really stupid shit, like you know, believing and like, you know, everybody's telling you that you're, you know, fantastic, and you start to believe that, and ugh, I don't even, you know, it all kind of factored into, um, into uh, you know, my awesome personality back then. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, did it make, Did you get a kind of, like, arrogance about you? Is that what happened?
2: Probably, I guess. Maybe I got, like, a big head or something. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, it's funny. I don't know if you've noticed this about yourself, but as I get, you know, as I got, especially maybe this started to happen to me um, about 10 years ago or so, where I really started to notice that I um, was definitely taking on more of my dad's personality uh, attributes. And one of my dad's main things was the sort of, like, isolating, where if you were anywhere near him, you just felt like you were bugging him, you know, and he would let you know that by, like, his big, like, annoyed sighs, like, ugh, like a Jesus. (laughs) You'd always say Jesus Christ with, like, a like he was, like, yawning, you know, or not almost this aggressive, like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) You know, like you and and, you know, me and and, you know, my the rest of my family, we on some level, we were kind of afraid of him and afraid to be around him and afraid to bother him, you know. And uh, I think that I really that's something that I've been wrestling with, you know, for for a while, you know. Um, And uh, I think maybe I'm on the other side of it, but it's sort of taking a lot of work to get there.
0: I mean, you obviously kept in touch with the Huffamoose guys. I mean, you, you'd known them for a long time, and so you maintained a friendship.
2: Oh, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, we've all all always been friends. And then I think we re- we released another record after Eric left the band, the drummer. I don't know. We just kind of, like, you know, went our separate ways. I mean, we'd been together since 1992, and by then it was, like, 2001, and it just seemed to have sort of run its course by then.
0: When the band broke up, I, you started doing your solo stuff. I mean, when I was listening to your solo work I thought well that's clearly you know it's the same voice it's the same songwriter but it was clearly your solo work listening to the new stuff this is clearly Huffamoose and it's such a subtle difference but it's clearly a difference when you were writing Huffamoose songs for the band did it feel that it differentiated from the solo work you'd been doing uh no,
2: not necessarily. As a matter of fact, I mean most of the songs on the Huffmoose record that I wrote were just songs that I wrote. You know, I didn't write them specifically for Huffamoose, but they did seem to kind of fit. Uh they did seem like they would work nicely with Huffamoose. Um I I think it's just more our approach to playing. You know, just kind of what what happens when we all play together. You know, that kind of just creates that Huffamoose sound or that vibe i guess this band definitely has a sound you know like it's like i can tell i think a lot like when i hear eric's drumming and not just on huffman stuff like i sometimes like that sounds like eric johnson you know like that kind of stuff yeah or even like jim's bass playing or, or kevin's guitar playing um and it all sort of shapes it and it's a very kind of uh, especially you know, it's a very democratic process like, you know, when we're when we're go, you know, doing basic tracks or or you know, you know, coming up with ideas or mixing or whatever. You know, and it just sort of everybody adds their little piece. You know, I don't know.
0: Um can we say that this is the happiest Huffamoose recording experience? Or I mean did it feel for you like the healthiest? Let me look back on the other report.
2: Well, each recording experience has its own kind of thing and they were all fun. Um, for sure. I mean the first one was a record that we did before we released the um the Interscope record and it was just an eponymous is that the word, you know, just moose Yeah. And uh that was fun because we'd all it was kind of the first time we'd all been in the studio. Um and it was uh it was quite an adventure. Um <laughs> And it sort of had more of like a loose, kind of like a, almost like a live feel to it. Um, the, with the Interscope record was, you know, and also very challenging. I mean, we recorded the Interscope record twice. We recorded it once. Basically, we recorded it twice. Recorded it once here in L.A. Um, with a producer. And then at the end of the sessions, we were like, oh, my God, we hate this. So we ended up going back and recording it again in philadelphia in the little you know, studio that we had been working at, at the time and um so that was quite an adventure so we got to spend the summer in los angeles record hate the entire recording and go back convince our record label not to drop us and <laughs> re-record and even new songs like we, we you know there may have been one or two songs that we had recorded the first time that we did the interscope record on the second version. So we wrote new songs and everything else. And that became the Interscope record. But uh, it's always been fun. Yeah, this was really fun. Uh, very relaxed. You know, we start, we did it last year. We, we recorded the basic tracks last January in Philly when it was like, you know, five degrees in some small town in South Jersey. Um, you know, just basically laughed a lot, sat around, you know, ate a ton, um and squeezed in some music along the way you know that's you know basically how we approached it
0: when you were on Interscope were you kind of like this is weird like did you feel you fit in with the label or they knew what to do with you or um was it was it a strange experience to be on a label like that at that time yeah i mean
2: i think it was really really strange um i'm not sure if they had any idea what to do with us i mean i i it was really exciting to be on a label but it is kind of that thing where you know you bet you know where you dream of something happening to you and when it happens it's not quite as thrilling as the actual dream and you know that's across the board has been the case of me for sure in my life but um there was definitely a lot of like why the like why are we on this label what what were they thinking? I can't you know, I don't know. It's very strange that we actually wound up on Interscope Um I and and after we were signed, you know, we didn't know anything either. So after we got a deal, we were, you know, like, Oh my God, this is gonna be amazing. We're gonna you know, we're gonna be huge. We're gonna this will change our lives and everything and, and um but we didn't know that, you know, after you get signed, there's a good chance that you're never going to release a record. You know, uh, we had no idea. And like we, I remember driving around with our attorney once and, and we had, I think just sort of just heard that like, Oh my God, I mean, there's a chance that we might not be able to release a record even though we just got a record deal. And we kind of, I sort of, I think I remember sort of saying that to him, like hoping that he would go, Oh no, not you guys. I mean, you'll <laughs> definitely be able to release a record and he was just like, uh-huh. That's right. Yeah. You know, and uh, it, I think from the time we got signed to the time we released a record it was almost three years, a three year process. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it got to be sort of more and more unbelievable as the time went on. It was just like, are you, I don't, you know, I, am I actually on this record label? Like I have no, I'm not cool. Like I don't have a look, you know. I don't know. It was just pretty funny, I guess. I think um, yeah, we were just sort of like four, you know, chubby guys from Philly <laughs> <laughs> on Interscope Records.
0: I mean, for, for people uh, who, who don't remember, like can you just can you remember a couple of your label mates at the time? Uh yes. Um,
2: Jacob Dillon. What was that name of that band? The Wallflowers. Wallflowers, right. I remember that record had just sort of come out when we were massing our record, and we were sitting in some place in Pasadena mastering our record and our a r guy was was definitely wanted it to have that same sort of sonic the low end and stuff he was he was aiming for that, but you know Jacob Dylan had recorded his record, you know some fancy studio somewhere we'd recorded ours and you know on a dat well, you know like in a little tiny hole in the wall studio right outside of Philly. Uh, but there was the Wallflowers, uh, No Doubt. Right. <laughs> they were a huge deal. Um, we actually worked a little bit with Matthew Wilder, um, who produced the, the No Doubt Tragic Kingdom record. That was an interesting experience. Um, I remember when that record came out, just thinking like, and then uh, I think the label sent us, of copies of the record because we were going to be doing a little bit of work with Matthew Wilder. And when I heard that record, I was, I just thought, Oh my God, this is the worst music I've ever heard in my life. I can't <laughs> believe we're going to be working with this guy. I mean, this is horrible. And who's ever going to listen to this? I mean, it's just crap. And, uh, and it was just, you know, obviously one of the biggest selling records of all time. Right. And, uh, so i was completely wrong and i've actually really grown to like a lot of that stuff on that record it's just funny it's just a sound that i'd never and at the time i think most of the really popular bands well i mean it's, it might have been getting a little past grunge by then but you know it was like pearl jam and all that stuff and nirvana and and then here comes this band no doubt i remember smash mouth uh, i remember that record interscope New. That that was going to be a gigantic record before it came out. I mean, we would we would go to different towns, and you know, a lot of times, like radio people from that town will take you out to eat, or like your little you know your rep from that area, your, your radio promo person at Interscope in like Cleveland or whatever, and uh, that's that's all they were talking about. You know, was the Smash Mouth
0: record. That was a catchy record. It was crazy. Yeah, that was a, that was a, big, yeah. a big, big record. Um, I know everyone laughs about them now, but they were huge. Um, oh, it was gigantic. And
2: we were sitting there thinking, like, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah,
0: but what about us? Like, you know, why
2: are we talking about Smash Mouth, you know? It's a funny thing to have somebody from the label take you out and just be talking about this other band the entire time.
0: Well, it's interesting to me to know, and I've – I've been around long enough to know that I've been sent albums that never came out, um, and so it's true. <laughs> Some, you know, sometimes they'll they'll even press the album as a, as an advance, and the press will get it, and then it just will never hit the shelves. Um, so knowing right. that, knowing that you know there was a chance your album couldn't come out, and then hearing what was coming out. Was there ever, talk about anxiety, was there ever a moment where you questioned yourself artistically, like, maybe I should go a different direction to make sure this does come out? Uh, no. <laughs> I didn't.
2: <laughs> Good. Um, I wasn't, um... At the time, no. I, I, I don't think that, that I was thinking that at all. I was basically, you know, I think that that's another reason why maybe um, the band wasn't as successful as it could have been. And that's just like, you know, I was just like, oh, well, we have a manager, we have a record label, we have this, we have that. They can take care of all that stuff. You know, like I'm the songwriter. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know. I just uh, I wasn't that much of a self-starter or whatever the word is. At the time. And plus, I was totally wrapped up in this whole other thing, which is I I was very hypochondriacal at the time. So I was just constantly wandering around thinking that I had some disease or, you know, I was very kind of obsessed with a lot of other things that didn't have anything to do with um, my music career. Because, you know, everybody had been telling me I was so great anyway. So I knew I really didn't have to put any effort into it. (laughs) That was taken care with my sheer brilliance.
0: <laughs> my brilliance <sighs> will see me through. Well, I'm curious, when what the pressure aggressive. for you got, like when the stakes got higher and higher, did you think that you were sicker and sicker? Um, yeah, I mean,
2: I think that those two things definitely coincided a little bit. You know, like I remember getting the news that we actually got the record deal and then instantly becoming, you know, having like a, a bout of hypochondria, for sure.
0: Now, were you a hypochondriac as a kid? I wasn't really, but I did grow up in um,
2: a house where my mom was always sort of sick. And um, and looking back on it, and through like years of therapy, I discovered that uh, because my the rest of my my other siblings were also pretty hypochondriacal at, at this at this exact time, and my mom was first, she was very sick, and eventually she had passed away and i think i found that this is just a fairly typical kind of way that you can a reaction that you can have when one of your parents gets sick or dies you know suddenly i was like oh my god i'm gonna die of something and i found a thing and and just kind of obsessed about it It was kind of like an ocd thing but uh when i was a kid i wasn't no i didn't remember that and then when this went away i, I haven't really been uh, um not really a hypochondriac anymore this is just kind of something related to that that i was experiencing unfortunately at the same time uh i was having all this good fortune like getting a record deal and all that stuff
0: yeah it's almost like you like you in some ways don't think you deserve it so you try to sabotage it
2: yeah 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 no that's true that's true too yeah for sure and 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 also i mean you know it's also depression, too. I think uh, hypochondria. I mean, in my instance, I, I guess I, looking back on it, I was really depressed. And you know, when you're depressed, you d- you tend to not want to get out of bed, or you just want to hide. And, um, and maybe the hypochondria was something that was sort of it's my it was my brain's way of kind of, you know, pushing me in that direction, hiding. You know, get get away, get away. And every, and, and every, any good thing that happened to me made it worse because I would have to, you know, it was like a step in the wrong direction for my brain that just wanted to go hide and, you know, and, and uh, climb in the bed.
0: It's nice to hear that you, that that's not something that would like, you know, plague you your whole life, that you actually got rid of it.
2: Yeah, I, I did. I did. Um, it just kind of slowly faded away. Um, took years and years, but it did. I mean, it, it's really hard to deal with. I mean, I read somewhere that most people will experience, like, clinical depression at least once in their lives. And I think that that was part of what, you know, the hypochondria was, for sure. You yeah, have a good summer
1: Cause I know that you will your blame
0: Back to the new album, when you when all was said and done, and you and you took a listen to it, were you? Because to me, it's sort of like Hothouse is such a ageless band. Like you know, this record sounds like it could have been made in ninety four, two thousand four, two thousand fourteen. Like there's there's a timelessness to Hothouse's sound, which I, I can't explain why that is, uh, but it's there. So when the album was done and you took a listen to it, you must have been. It must have felt good to be in that pocket again. Yeah, no, it
2: did. It did for sure. Uh, God, I mean, yeah, it was so much fun. One thing I've discovered over the you know years as I've made music is that you know the joy for me in making the music and and all things in life basically is definitely the process. And so the process of doing that, the process of going into the studio and. And recording and sitting there in the control room and listening back to what we just recorded, you know what I mean? Or doing the overdubs or mixing. That's the fun stuff. You know, that's like, oh, my God. And that's when you really love listening to this stuff. So you could listen to it. Like, I can, li- I could listen to the songs, you know, a thousand times in a row and still like it. And then, it, and then at some point, though, you get really, really sick of it. You know, like I'm, I'm guessing that you do with your writing as well, right? I mean, you just get to the point where you're like, ugh, yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't listen to, I can't read this, I can't look at it one more time. No, like you know, and <clears throat> that's gonna. I think I'm in that. I'm, I'm there now. I mean, I can still listen to it, but it doesn't give me that charge anymore because I've just, I just, I'm just, you know, my brain is just burnt out on it for now.
0: Were you in terms of. Because I, I keep making a parallel with XTC where I think like you'd be happy making Huff Moose records and not touring the world in the process in the same way that Partridge became sort of a guy who could crank out records, but would rather not play live. Are you one of those people? Like, do you prefer the live experience? Are you happy to skip it? Like where, where are you with that?
2: Well, um, when we played live, uh when huffington's plays live i really love it I you mean, know, i love those shows um we haven't i have not had a bad playing experience with them since we started doing reunion shows you know back in 2008 we played one and it was great and then we waited a few years and then we played another one and you know so then it got to be like one or two or three a year <clears throat> every time i just really really love it for me um well, as far as being on the road is concerned, I do find that depressing. I, I find, like, the day in and day out sort of <laughs> drudgery of being on, you know, Route 70 in February at 3 o'clock in the morning trying to drive from Chicago to Aspen, or you know what I mean? Like, right. that kind of stuff is, like, ugh. It's just so depressing. Um, uh, and, then, and then as far as the, lot, the live experience, um, I, I definitely have a little bit of social anxiety. So I build up in my brain like, oh my God, I'm gonna to have to talk to tons of people. What if I forget people's names? You know, I have to do all this stuff. I have to you know, remember to mention this radio station. I have to do all that kind of bugs me leading up to it. But then when I'm in it, when I'm definitely, when I'm in it, when I'm with the band, when we're doing all this stuff, I actually really enjoy it, you know? The build-up is, uh, is tough. And just, yeah, the, the, the piling into a van and driving, not that I, w- I wouldn't do it again, but it's definitely not my favorite thing to do.
0: So for Moose with this record, is, is there a more extensive touring schedule planned, or how are you guys going to, going to approach that?
2: Well, we're still working that out. I mean, we just released the record, so we're just kind of waiting to see... I don't know, letting kind of the marketplace, I don't know if that's the right word, like dictate what happens with that. You know, maybe we'll play a a few shows or a radio thing here or there, maybe a summer festival or two, or it just depends, you know, on everybody's availability. I mean, it's a little bit trickier right now because, you know, we have families and, uh, you know, it's very expensive to go out on the road and, and, um, so it kind of has to be worth it. But I mean, we we don't really have a specific plan or any kind of like, no, we won't do this or we will do this. I mean, I couldn't imagine us getting in a van and driving around, you know, for the summer, just trudging around the, the States, playing in, you know, like tiny little places to five people. I just don't know if that's going to make any sense. I mean, I don't know if anybody has the money to do that. You know, just... God, I remember thinking a couple of years ago that I wanted to go out. I think I had a friend of mine, we were playing together, and we wanted to go to New Orleans or do a tour that would go maybe to New Orleans or something like that with this other band that was from there. And I was thinking, well, yeah, that could be really fun. Okay, let's try and figure this out. And just like looking at the logistics, just price-wise, I mean, I, I was like, how the hell does anybody do this? You know? I mean... What? Where does this money come from? Certainly not me. I mean, I, I, I'm not a saver. <laughs> I Don't have <laughs> any money in the bank. Or, uh, don't have like a tour savings account.
0: It seems to me like uh, making a living now in in this industry at you know you could you could pull it off. I mean, I think in the old days you could actually make some money, and I'm not sure how people do anymore.
2: I I know it's crazy. I mean, just we release this record and you know, I don't think anybody's really buying CDs. I mean, it's on Spotify and, you know, so you get like the, the metrics as far as like who's been listening to it and all that stuff. But I mean, you know what it's like, I mean, you get like a quarterly, you know, uh, royalty check, performance royalty check. And, you know, you could have thousands and thousands of plays on Spotify or YouTube or whatever. And you're making, you know, 0.00, 000 cents per spin. You know, it's ridiculous.
0: Yeah, it it's it's very strange. I think the the model and again, I'm sure that there are exceptions to the rule, but uh the model just seems trickier uh than it's ever been. So for you, do you think in terms of, you know, Hufamuth were one of those very much a cult favorite band that movie came out and people were like, you know, there's always been a very ardent uh fan base for your band. Uh and this is the first album you have you've put out in what is it? 20 how many years has it been like? To, I've lost I it. think since we,
2: since I want to be your pants, like 2000. So I guess maybe 17 or 18 years.
0: Yeah. So yeah. That's, a, that's a big deal. Uh, is there a thought of let's follow it up and just keep doing Huffamose records? Or is it hard to look that, that far into the future?
2: Uh, I think the plan is that we're going to do some more records. No, it's not hard. I mean, we definitely have the material. Um, and <coughs> it's, you know, pretty cheap for me to go back to Philly and I have my, my family lives back there. So, uh, yeah, we're definitely looking into recording some more stuff and we're having a great experience with, um, winding way records. I mean, they're just so nice and so together and, uh, you know, so they've been great too. So it's nice to be able to record and not to have to, I mean, pay for it yourself. I mean, you know, it's just to not have to worry about that. I mean, I would have, I've, you know, I've released what two or three records since Huffa Moose has broken up and that's only because I don't have the money to do it. <clears throat> I mean, I've got tons of material. I just can't, I, I can't scrape together the cash to record or to finish a project or to make the CDs or to promote it. You know,
0: one thing I've always loved about your songwriting. There's a lot I love about your songwriting, but, one of the things I love is your balance between humor and heartbreak. Um, I don't know if anyone does it as well as you, um, where in in the course of a song you can make someone laugh and also completely devastate them. Uh, your your stuff is just so so beautiful, and it has that incredible balance. Um, I I was going to say how do you do that? <laughs> but I I don't know I don't know how you manage to do that. But are you aware at least of that you have that sort of tendency to have those tragic and and comedic elements at play, or do you not even think about that?
2: Well, can we make this the only part of the podcast that anybody hears? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, uh, uh, man, that's a good question. I mean, my songwriting style definitely comes from not really knowing what I'm doing, you know, And, and also... I don't know. I, crap! I don't know if I'm answering the question. But um, do I know, did, Was the question? Do I know that I'm doing that?
0: Yeah. Are you aware With of the, uh... that? Like as a as an artistic device? Like are you aware that you traverse that territory in the course of one song? Are, not? I'm not all the time. But are you aware that you can do both at the same time in the span of a three minute song?
2: Well, I'm aware of it
0: when the song comes out.
2: I mean, after the song's finished, but um, I'm just basically being myself. I mean, that's, I guess, who I, my personality is sort of that way um, when I'm writing. And, you know, I definitely have some songs that have no humor in them, uh, but uh, in all heartache. But um, for the most part, that's just me being me. I think that as I've grown um, as an artist and a songwriter, it's become, it's become easier to access that, you know, to be myself while I'm writing, and that's something that I've really um, enjoyed about gr- growing as, as an artist, uh, as an artiste, that sounds so, so pompous. But you know, as a songwriter, um, you know, just to be able to be more myself. You know, not to pretend to be somebody else, not to try. Like when I first started singing uh, back in like the late 80s or whatever it was, I was pretending to sing like Michael Franks. I don't know if you remember him. Sure. Yeah, I remember because in high school, my uh, English teacher gave me a couple like vintage Michael Franks records of The Art of Tea and The Art of
0: Tea, sure. Some
2: other. Yeah, some other record that, you know, after, after You Hurt Me, After I Hurt You, and Popsicle Toes. And I just loved that stuff. I mean, I couldn't <laughs> believe how cool it was. And I just thought, oh, I can kind of sing like Michael Franz. I can kind of go, Popsicle Toes, like I can make my voice sound softer, you know, and more right. sort of velvety than it was. And uh, and I guess I, for a while as a songwriter, I was doing that too, you know. Like I think when I wrote that song, "James," that was like the first r- song that I wrote really that you know, I don't know, did anything for me, or you know, actually had a bridge or anything like that, and uh but I wasn't really in touch with my songwriting style when I wrote that song for better or for worse, so it's like I've I, you know, like I, now I, when I write, I kind of like, I don't know, I just feel more at ease being myself. And I also, too, I have this kind of, like, I was talking to somebody about this not too long ago, you know, where you, and I, I'm sure you've experienced this, too, is that, you know, when you're creating your own version of your art, it's one of the few places where, you know, you're right, you know, like your, your vision is the vision, and you, and you can go in there with kind of like a fuck you, I'm going to do this the way that I want to do it attitude. And nobody is going to tell me, you know, how to do it. This is just few places in my life where I'm the boss. You know what I mean?
0: I do. Yeah. Because it's your universe. Like you have, you're creating it you create the rules and you create, you create the world. And so, you know, you're sort of like, which can be also incredibly, it can get you into trouble as well. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Be, right. Cause you can do, you can almost do too much of the thing that you do in your world. And I think that as you get more refined with whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, you become better at sort of saying, well, I shouldn't keep doing that one thing or that other thing. And you, you become better at it. And I love hearing that, mm-hmm. you know, that as, as you know, you've gotten older, you feel more in command of what it is that you do. Oh
2: yeah, for sure. I mean, and I remember an exact moment in time um this is maybe right i moved los angeles maybe a little bit about 12 years ago or so where i was walking around you know i was hiking or something and i was working on a lyric in my head and i remember thinking oh my god I, i discovered this thing where i could actually if i ruminated on something long enough i could get really close to what it is exactly what it is that i want to say you know and the opposite is something like, uh, you know, getting like halfway through a song and then just going, well, I don't really know what the song is about, but I just want to finish it and get onto the next song. Like uh, suddenly I was like, oh, crap, I can really if I take long enough and I concentrate hard enough. I can find exactly the kind of weird little unique way that I want to express this, you know, this feeling or, or this thought that I have um and i remember that and I, it, so that kind of that's when things sort of shifted for me as a songwriter i just i would give myself the time to just sort of sit there and stare at you know stare at the wall and just you know go over words in my head or just you know when i'm doing the dishes or whatever like really let myself work on a, like a phrase or get it to like i know a lot of people say well i don't i don't like to spend too much time because then it's not fresh or whatever but for me, I like, I really, really like that aspect of it. It's kind of like, um, like editing, you know, like you, if you, like I remember being in high school and writing like short stories or something and sitting there and my favorite part of doing that was, was the editing of it, you know, like sitting there go, Oh, I'm going to cross that out. I'm going to do that. You know, it's so much mm-hmm. goddamn fun. Yeah. You know.
0: Well, and also, you know, the real, the real interesting thing here is that sometimes, you know, the, the, the best work gets done when the guitar and the pen aren't even in your hand.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but, and that's, for me, that's been a real key thing. And as a songwriter, you can do that. And maybe as an artist, maybe as a painter or whatever, you can somehow, you know, like people say, they're creative when they're in the shower or whatever it is, you know, you can, if you can just go, Oh, you can give yourself permission to create when you're doing the dishes. And, you know, as a parent, like I spent a lot of time doing those types of things, um, you know, that's when the ideas really come and that's when you can. And also that's not like, if, if I'm like doing the dishes, I'm doing something. So people aren't looking at me like, um, what's your problem? <laughs> you know, like I, I'm ar- I can already be like spaced out. And but at the same time working on something and nobody knows it, so I'm not like sitting there on the couch while you know my family's kind of like you know tiptoeing around me, trying not to disturb you know the artiste as he's creating his masterpiece. <laughs> you know, like, it really for me it's the opposite. It's yeah just doing it when you're sitting in traffic or you know that's the that's the fun thing.
0: It's almost like you're. But that's being, been the most effective. But your brain your brain gets to almost relax because it's like okay, I'm not holding a guitar, I'm not holding a pen, I'm not sitting behind a keyboard, I'm driving, I'm doing dishes, I'm picking up my daughter from school. So it's almost as though you, you, you're you not putting pressure on yourself to be creative and the creativity just comes because no one's trying to force it out.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, that's so true. I think that that's a big part of it. I mean, I do find, though, that sometimes I do need to kind of set aside some time in the morning... If I really, really want to get to really, if I really want to sort of chisel away at something I'm trying to do, like put the real finer points on that on the tune, I, I do have to spend some time kind of sitting there by myself, trying to think of you know ways to to word something or whatever. Um, it's a kind of, I guess, it's a combination of all of those things. Has, for me, at least,
0: <laughs> has your daughter shown interest in, in music?
2: My daughter loves music. Um, she hasn't really shown too much interest in being interest in being a musician, but she's really—I mean—you can give her like a Donovan tune, and she'll be like, "Oh my God, this is amazing!" And she'll instantly put it on her playlist, and and you know, and then find other Donovan tunes. And so she's not. She definitely went through that phase where if it wasn't being played on, you know, pop radio, she she hated it. But now that she's, you know, a teenager, she's grown up a little bit and she's she just loves music. I mean, she does this thing almost on a daily basis where she paces. Um, and she'll go into our bedroom, which is has a really long sort of walk walkway um, where it's a really great pacing room. Remember, like back in the day, where they if somebody in, on TV and stuff, they would show somebody thinking, like they were always pacing back and forth. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like they don't
2: really show that much anymore. But that's what my daughter loves to do. She loves to just put the headphones on and close the door and just pace back and forth and listen to music. Yeah, yeah, a, that's where that's showing up for her.
0: That's cool. That's a that's a great image. What is your what's your take on Michael Franks? Now, by the way.
2: Uh, I was just checking him out recently. Um, I don't know. He's still churning out the, the the hits, right? He's still making music.
0: I think so. And he's just one of those really strange artists that kind of exists in in this kind of place where he doesn't get brought up uh, as a, as an object of scorn or as an object of praise. He just sort of existed in his own weird uh, time continuum where he was just kind of always there. Um uh-huh. He, he's he's very strange to me that way. Yeah, I think I know. You I mean even like classic
2: Michael Franks? Right. Like even the. Yeah, no, I, it's, I just recently discovered that my guitar player, the guitar player Kevin in Huffmoose, was also like a really big Michael Franks fan. I think maybe his parents used to listen to it or something. I'm not sure how he came, came by Michael Franks, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean,. That's, I, I think maybe fairly recently I had like, I was like, oh my God, Michael Franks. I forgot about this. And <laughs> I think I remember trying to play my daughter something and she wasn't quite prepared to wander into the Michael Franks world yet. Because <laughs> yeah, it is kind of like, it, it, it's kind of got a little smooth jazz vibe to it when you first start listening to it. Um, but also that sound, that sort of, I guess, Joe Sample playing the, the electric right. piano. And yeah. I mean, it's such a cool sound. It's so, and his record sounds so good, you know, but I still, I think he's amazing. I mean, and it also like, it's weird. Like, I think, I don't know if it was because he wrote that stuff when he was young or what, like for some reason, I just real it's really cool. Like that stuff, but I, I I gotta wonder, like, if he wrote those exact songs right now at this stage of his career, would we all think it was as cool as it was back then, or would we all be like, eh, that's just some old guy writing like you know songs with funny lyrics?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and and he's to me, I've just always wondered cuz i really like michael franks and i've always wondered why no one brings him up as an influence and no one brings him up as an object of derision he's just like kind of untouchable in this like in this really weird way um yeah you know he and there's there's a couple other artists that are like that but he always comes to mind as one of those um i don't think he gets cited enough uh for being as influential as i think he probably really is
2: yeah i can see that that's interesting. Another one of my big influences was um Don McLean. Did you ever get into Don McLean? I
0: yeah, I started to get into the into some of the earlier work and like it's it's really underrated.
2: Oh yeah. Oh god, that America the, uh, the entire American Pie record is just ridiculously great. Yeah. You know, is many you know, as sick of the the song American Pie as people are. I mean, it's just wow.
0: Dude, I'm so happy that Hufamus are back and I always love talking to you, um, and I appreciate you taking the time to do this. But I, I'm just so excited about this record, and I'm excited about the return of the band. Uh, dude, cool. the other thing is, I'm really excited about. It. I love hearing that that there's going to be other Hufflepuff records. This isn't just a one-off. I love that the Hufflepuff story continues.
2: Yeah, uh, me too. Me too. And I got it. You know, just going back to what we were talking—the live thing. Um, that's one of my favorite things to do. I mean, we had such a great experience playing live um, over the holidays. I mean, with this band, that's what I really, really love to do um, more than anything is, is playing live. It's just such a joyous, kind of hilarious, you know, oh, shit, we don't really know this song kind of thing, you know, and we're just kind of all sort of laughing to ourselves a little bit when we're playing, you know, and it's, uh, it's a really fun experience.
0: Well, I could chat with you on the phone all day, Craig. I always enjoy it. And I'm so happy uh, that your band is back.
2: Great, and thank you so much for doing this, man. I really, really appreciate it.
0: Oh, dude, it, it's my, my absolute pleasure. You're one of my favorite guys, and it's uh, it's always a good excuse to get on the phone with you.
2: Oh, thanks, thanks. Um, damn, I wish I could say something equally as nice about you. <laughs> You're like, I had to muscle through this one. Uh, no, no, I mean, I... I'm just out of I can't think I you know another nice thing for me is would that be overboard if it was like, you know what Alex? I think that you're also one of the most amazing people that I know, and then we could just keep going back and forth) <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: You know, just two guys talking about Michael Franks. That's all. Uh, Oh, that was fun. I like Craig Elkins a lot. I love Huffamoose. Check those guys out. Huffamoose.com will give you all the information you need about that band. Uh, Buy that record. Buy their old records. You're going to love them. They're they're really special. Uh, Now, as for me, I'm not as special as Huffamoose, but I have my own website, AlexGreenOnline.com. That will uh, give you all the information you need to know about me. Maybe even too much. It's, it's arguable. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter, at Embers Editor. You can find me on Instagram, at Embers Podcast. And if you want to email me, please do so. Editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Tell me who you want on the show, and I will find them. And I will drag them kicking and screaming uh, into the Stereo Embers studios. Okay? All right. Uh, As always, I appreciate your listenership. You have no idea how happy it makes me that you're out there. And please make yourself be known. Go to iTunes, subscribe to the show, give us a rating, uh, maybe a couple of stars here or there, maybe a nice comment or two. Uh, It goes a long way because our ego is fragile and our life is small. (laughs) No need to sugarcoat things over here. All right, let's close things off with a brand new one from Huffamoose. This is Send Out Your New Song. Enjoy it. And I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers the podcast.
1: Send out your new song Send out your new song Send it to your list of people who can help Send It's no big deal When you send out your new song It's only a rough mix And you're still working on the core From your fan base, fan base, fan base.
2: Hi there, Fritz. Record released last week. Since then, I've thrown a new animated video up and started to get some nice organic crest of I'm
0: Vanessa. Hope you're doing Links well. Links to the three that Let's I've seen over the past
2: couple of days offering. as well as some Another recent tale videos. of middle age? Uh, uh, anyone can help me. I good. hope you I don't, really don't mind me trying to help.